Episode three of the National Running Pod Show is here. Now, if you haven't tuned into the first two episodes, go and watch, go and listen on your Sunday long run, and then tune back into this third edition. Our special guest this week is the one and only Ali Bailey. We learn how to light up our runs properly with Petzl. Tech with Pete Cooper from Cooper Running. Quench your ultra thirst with GB Ultras. Hydration advice with Emily from SIS. And running pole advice with Harrier Trail Running. And of course, our sponsors, Runderwear, are giving away a £100 voucher. Now, they're doing this in every single episode, so if you haven't entered in the first two, then go ahead and do that now. But to enter this week's, head into the episode description. Without further ado, let's head straight over to our hosts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the National Running Show pod show. So thank you for coming back. This is episode three. Who the heck thought we would make it this far, guys? Here we are. Yeah. We've done it. We've, we've done, done it. it. We've survived. So um, thank you for being with us. Um, in this episode, we've got some really awesome speakers and some content for you. But ahead of that, we're going to talk about my absolute favourite subject, <laughs> myself. Um, and uh, actually, as part of the introduction, they've insisted that they were actually going to ask me some questions about myself. So... Jamie, Elise, over to you. Please be gentle. I would like to ask you, what was your first initial moment that you knew you had to set up a run show in January of each year? Oh, do you know what? There's a long story about this. So mm. I, I've always wanted to... I, I've always worked in events, and I used to run really boring exhibitions. So yeah, I remember you saying. <laughs> I, I ran a show once called The Concrete Show. I mean, that's pretty dull. Um, and FinTech and all of this stuff that yeah. I wasn't really passionate about. And I had this, but I loved running. And I kind of, I went to a marathon show and I realised it was great. The content there was amazing. All the stuff you could buy was awesome. But it was the day before the race. And all I wanted to do was not trip over anything because I am quite clumsy and get home and eat some pasta and get out of there. So I was kind of forced to be there to get my race mm. number. Yeah. But actually all the stuff that I wanted to do was at the wrong time for me. So I thought, why not do it in January? I had that great idea and I did nothing with it for seven years. Um, so I just, yeah, didn't do anything with it and... Sold concrete Yeah, did, did all kinds of boring events until yeah. one day my wife just, when I was going on about it, because I always used to yeah. be like, if I had my own business, this is what I'd do. Because yeah. uh, for some reason I talk like a cockney yeah. gangster uh, when I'm in the car. And anyway, she just went, well, you stop wanging on about it and just yeah. do it. Yeah. And yeah. And I did, and I left my safe corporate job and sat with a couple Brilliant. of mates in a shed. <laughs> Ballsy. Ballsy. Yeah. Ballsy. Oh, so I remember that it was just after I'd finished my run around the coast, I got an email from you saying you were setting up this little show and did I want to speak. 18 months ahead of the first event, a lot more warning than I got to host this podcast, I've got to say. <laughs> um, and But yeah, you said, I'm setting up a little event, I've booked the NEC. Um, how does it feel like to have created what is like a bit of a classic in the running calendar now an amazing community around it I, I don't know it's a bit weird don't, get, don't give him too much <laughs> yeah let me it's tell you more tough. about how great <laughs> <laughs> his head will out the door I wish my head oh, get oh, oh it will oh it will <laughs> I hate to say something nice to him but it is sort of true oh I don't know it's, it's weird and actually <laughs> I, I tell you like I had a dream about what I wanted the show to be I'm going to butt in here because they genuinely go on to talk about Mike and show-related stuff for about 10 minutes. I really don't think that's what we want to hear. We want to get straight into all of the good stuff. So I fast-forwarded through a lot of it and we can join them again now. 
Cool. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that, guys. That wasn't really cringeworthy at all, <laughs> me being interviewed about myself. Um, but in today's episode, we have loads more awesome content for you to listen to. Um, hit us up with your feedback. Uh, please write to us. Tell us what you'd like to hear more of, what you'd like to hear less of. And please don't forget that the Runderwear competition runs with every single episode that we do. So to enter to win a £100 voucher after this episode, please follow the links in the show notes. And also, if you do use the Runderwear code at checkout, remember the code is PODSHOW and you get 10 percent off anything that you buy at, run, at the Runderwear website. Um, now, on to the next guest. This really is an amazing conversation. Just a heads up, there is a bit of swearing in it, so if you've got kids around, then stick your headphones in now. Hi everyone. For this episode's interview, I am delighted to be joined by elite ultra-athlete Ali Bailey. This could be an absolute car crash, because Ali and I have known each other for some time, so strap in, let's see what we go. Hi Ali, how are you? I'm great, how are you? I am very well. I'm tired. Yeah, me too. So this is being filmed at the National Running Show. Mm -hmm. It's at the end of the first day and we're both a little bit delirious, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So Ali, for people who don't know you, um, describe yourself. I was about to say everyone knows me <laughs> and then I thought, that makes you sound like a bellend, so I'm not kidding. <laughs> right, so uh, I'm um, an ultra runner. I'm a coach. I've written a book recently, haven't we all? And... Um, that's kind of it. I think that is massively underselling yourself. So talk me through some of your key races that you've done. Uh, so, man, it's hard. I'd say my specialist distance is 100 miles. Yeah. They're my favourites. How many of those have you done? I've done 13. 13 100-mile races. Milers. OK, and I assume they're the easy ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> There's no such thing as an easy 100-mile race. You know this. Yes, I do know this. 100-mile um, race is a 100-mile race. But there are some are harder than others. So um, I've done the whole Centurion Slam, so that's all their hundreds in a year. So Centurion running do 100-mile races, and they are, they're actually very accessible, and they're really really well-organised and friendly, See, but they're starts, pretty tough, right? Isn't it? That's how it starts. So it started <laughs> with the Auto 100 with them. Which is quite easy yeah, so as a 100-miler. Yeah, so i a beginner, yeah. right, the Auto 100 goes out and back in 12-mile, 12-and-a-half-mile stints. Yeah. So you're always going back to the same base. But to be clear, 100 miles is never easy and we're not crossing no, over No, not that. at all. But, but then, as an accessible start point, it's Yeah, a good and then one. you start and then you do it and then you're like, oh, that was good. Except you're not when you're doing it. And then the minute you finish, you're like, oh, that was good. And then, oh, and then you're like, oh, well, I might as well have a go at some of the other races. And before you know what's happened, you're signed up to all four of their 100 milers in a year. Mm -hmm. And then you start to realise there's other races that are 100 miles as well, like the Arc of Attrition. <laughs> so we're going to come to the Arc of Attrition. But let's talk through the four... Centurion races, mm -hmm. um, you did them all in a year. Yeah. So four 100-mile races in a year. In COVID year. Goodness me. So how was that? So usually they're spread out. So you've got um, Thames Path and then uh, Thames Path, South Downs Way, North Downs Way, Autumn. And they've kind of got a couple of months between them, three months between them. Nice. In COVID year, we had to do 300 milers in three months. Because they just all had to be squished together because of the lockdowns and all that shenanigans. That was quite hard. And then um, the autumn was a little bit later on that one, or one of them was a bit later. But yeah, it was, <clears throat> I went through a period in my life where I wasn't running for the right reasons. So I was an alcoholic for a long time, for like 26 years, but didn't admit it to myself or to anyone else. In that time, I used running to prove I was okay. So I was like, you can't be an alcoholic and a runner, like the way I run, that's just not possible. But you can, and I did. So while I was doing that, I wasn't, didn't really feel anything. So I didn't really feel 
pain. I didn't have any real respect for myself or my welfare, so I wasn't resting properly. And people are like, oh, how did you manage to do it? And I feel like when you don't feel anything, it's a lot easier to do stuff like that. And to like, it's almost like a punishment to mm-hmm. yourself. Nowadays, I wouldn't back races into each other like that because I'm aware of how bad it is for your body and how bad it is for your well-being. So I just wouldn't do it. Wouldn't recommend anyone does it. But, you you um, were just chasing each race, basically. Yeah, you were yeah. chasing like, well, you know, you know what's like when you finish your first marathon, right? Yeah. And you're like, ah. Oh five minutes and then <laughs> and then the high starts to tip in so i should have gone quicker if you let it um some people that doesn't happen i think they're like that's it that's cool i'm happy mm-hmm. but for me i was searching for this thing this like happiness and i thought oh running will give it to me like running will save me and it didn't so i was like oh well it's the wrong race so i just kept running ridiculous races and that's how i got into ultra and that's how i got into 100 milers and it just escalated really quick and it ended up with me just basically hammering myself into the ground and it just wasn't healthy. It just wasn't healthy. And and it wasn't until like I hit rock bottom where I was like, oh my God, like I've been using this in a really bad way. Hmm. Um, and I had to sort of start again with it, like start again with why I was running. Um, and um, now I run kind of for the same reasons that I ran when I was drinking, except I don't drink anymore, so I really enjoy it. And I'm, instead of, like, there being this horrendous need for, like, fulfilment, I do it out of gratitude that I can do it, and I really, really enjoy it. And I think that's really interesting, right? Because we're talking about someone who's... I mean, there'll be a lot of people listening to this thinking, four 100-milers in quick succession, mm. that's insane. But actually, what you're talking about is the reasons to run. And I think if you start with the right mm. reasons, that can make the outcomes much better. And I think just be careful sometimes of chasing these big goals and posting it on Instagram and making yourself look freaking awesome when actually what's going... No-one knows really what's what's going on. No, and also thinking that. that it'll change something. Like, just because you've done a 100-mile race doesn't make you a better person or a happier person or a more fulfilled person. It makes me a lot grumpier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it makes you a mental person. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're 200 pounds poorer and you're tired. Yeah. But, but, like... I think people think, yes, a lot of people say, I do it to prove something to myself. What are you trying to prove to yourself? Because you're not going to prove anything to yourself by running 100 miles that you can't, that you shouldn't already know anyway. Like, you shouldn't let running define your worth. You shouldn't let running be be a level of how good you are as a person because, you know, it's got nothing to do with that. It's just running. So, so talk me through, so... That's really interesting, but, but you still have the mental fortitude to complete a 100-mile race, which a lot of people cannot do. So what is it now that gets you going? It's the process of it. So it's the... I've done a lot of work since I stopped drinking on, like, why I was drinking, and, like, I suffer with depression and anxiety nowhere near as bad as I did when I was a drinker. Um, but I still, get, I still have it because it's, it's an illness. Mm. But I, when I came out of that, I started to read a lot about why, how my brain works, the way it does. And I think it's really important for all Someone of us... Someone had written a, brain, a book about your brain. Not my brain. <laughs> our brain. Yeah. Um, and I think we all think we're special, right? But really, we're all quite basic. Yeah. We all function in the same way. We've got primitive brain, we've got prefrontal cortex, and we have choice over our thoughts. So we don't, we don't have choice over what we think. We have choice over what we believe and how we respond to those thoughts. So if you uh, stand at the start of a race and think, oh, my God, I'm really scared, I'm really worried about this, you will feel scared. That feeling will feel mm. like fear. If you stand at the start of a race and think, this is going to be a great adventure, 
you will feel excited. And scientifically, it's the same feeling in your body. It's so your I, thought giving it the name. I do agree with that, but I stand at the start of the race thinking, I've got this, I'm going to smash it. Mm -hmm. And then I, with no training and no basis of fact. You all know that there's a slight <laughs> part of your brain missing, don't we, Mike? Because you are special. Like, I think there's, um, there's, we have this thing called motivated bias as people, right? Yep. So our brains will always lead us to the answer we want, not the answer that we're going to get. So if you're like, no, I believe I can do this, this like blind confidence, that's always going to overpower the reality of the situation, right? And mm. it depends on like what sort of person you are. Like if you're a naturally positive person or if you're a slightly more like depressed person or if you're like you think with glass half full or glass half empty, but your thoughts generally become results, right? Unless you are not prepared and you are going in with the motivated bias stuff. So when people talk about it's a mental game running, mm. it is, but you have to be fit enough to do it. 100% has to be fit I, enough to I do totally it. I totally agree with that. And I think actually your strength of mind and some of the races you've done is so clear. Yeah. And actually maybe for the wrong reasons in the past, but actually you still seem to have kept that. Yeah. But you've now got it in a bit of a more of a controlled and managed way. So we've, we've done the 400s. Yeah. Arc of Attrition. Brutal race. Do you want to tell us about that race? Where does it take place? What's the terrain like? What's the weather like? Uh, so the Arc of Attrition is a 100-mile race that takes place on the southwest coast path, and it runs from Coverack, which is on the bottom, all the way around the bottom, and then up through Land's End, Minac, um, to Port Town at the top. And it's quite a mythical race, right? Cause it's oh, it's magical. It's a magical race. So it's in January. So the last weekend of January, always. Seems like a great time to be running on a coastal it's path. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's never rainy or windy or freezing cold or icy or scary, ever. Oh, and also, it's not dark for 15 hours of the race. And, and you've run this... This wasn't the first time you've run this race, right? No, so I did it back in... It was the first race I did as a sober person, and I DNF'd it. And it was my first ever DNF. I've so never DNF, DNF'd for race. people who don't know, is did not finish. Yeah. So yeah. how did that feel? Because your first race as a sober person, you think you've climbed this mountain, it, this must be pretty brutal, right? There was a, a part of me that was like, well, you're not good enough to do this. Like, you were better at this when you were, when you were drinking. And uh, then, and like, why can't you do it? And the, the reason I couldn't do it was because I could feel everything. So I could feel pain, I could feel my own thoughts. When I was drinking, I was either drinking or hungover. So I would turn up at races hungover and I would just be in this fog where I didn't have emotion. I would just batter myself so I wouldn't even think about pain because I was in so much emotional pain it didn't touch the sides whereas when you get sober you really start to get in touch with like what's going on and your thoughts and all that so actually running ultras sober is harder I find for me than running um when I was drinking and when I reflected of course when I when I DNF'd it was because I stopped eating I'd messed my race up I just hadn't followed my own plan I felt terrible so instead of pushing on I just stopped I thought I was going to get timed out Maybe I would have, maybe I wouldn't have, but I just stopped. About mile 69. Which, which is a hell of an achievement, 69 miles in that weather. Were you able to take any sort of positives from that or did you just beat the well, crap out later, of yourself? later, down the line, maybe like four or five weeks later, because it was my first DNF, so I had to like roll around in it a bit, I kind of came to the conclusion it was the kindest thing I could have done because hmm. I gave myself a break. I was like, <laughs> you're done now, stop. Like, stop. I, I, I responded to that, that kind of pain in a, the kindest way I could, which was to stop. Whereas before, I would not have responded to that pain. I would have just hammered myself through. Would it have made me happier? No. Would it have made me a better person? No. Would it have made me feel like I was 
but like I, I was worth more, whatever it is that I was looking for. No, because no race has ever done that. And I've done a lot of races and I've, you know, I finished the arc last year. I went back and finished it last year. I'm going back again this year because I just love it. Like, I just love it. It's just, I love being out there. There's no other time that you can have that conversation with yourself. And all you have to do is run. There's no phone, there's no bills, there's no nonsense, there's none of it. There's just other human beings doing, having this shared experience with you in, these really, in this really harsh environment. And even though you're not having a good time, you are having a good time. <laughs> type two fun. Yeah, or it's... type three fun even. <laughs> um, but um, I just look at it totally differently now to the way I looked at it before, but I get so much more out of it now than I did before. And, like, it's different stuff I get out of it. It's the community, it's the people I meet, it's the stories I hear, it's the, you know, I go and support a lot of races. I've just come back off the spine safety team. I spent four or five days supporting the guys on the spine. Mm. And just, you know, being able to help those people to achieve, this sounds so cheesy, to achieve their dream, just being a little part of their dream, like, you don't get to do that nowadays, do you? No. You just and don't. I, and I think it's very... Spe- and actually, like, shout out to all the volunteers, because, and I think if you, if you do race and you do get the benefits, you should also give back, so you should volunteer, and I think it's, it's amazing that you do. I think you glossed over quite subtly then <laughs> that you DNF'd the arc. It had a massive impact on you emotionally. <laughs> it's, it's your first race sober. And then you had the balls to go back and do it again, and you smashed it. Yeah. So the second time that you went back, how did that feel? Um... Shit all the way through and then good no, for five it, minutes. No, it end. wasn't like, you know, there was that like passing through Zena, which is where I DNF before. Mm. The funny thing about it, right, I DNF the arc of attrition and then four or five months later I went around the length of the UK and the first day of that race, of that event, I had to run past the DNF spot. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm about to run a thousand miles across the UK, I've got to run past the DNF spot. So that was gone, that feeling was gone. So when I went back to do the arc, I kind of had already buried that DNF spot, so it was all all right. Oh, okay, so... But it's still... Like, it was one of the greatest... It was one of the greatest races I think I've done, because it was... I'd never... If I... Usually, if I wasn't good at something, I'd just stop fucking doing it. Like, Mm. I'd just stop doing it. Whereas this time, I'd gone, right, I'm going to go back and do it. And um, I was so focused on... It wasn't even proving to myself. I think it, there were so many things about it. I can't really explain it, but I, was, I did finish it, and I was absolutely chuffed when I did finish it. And I can't actually believe I'm going back. I feel like I've got Stockholm Syndrome. I don't know why I'm going back. I, I just love it. It's just brilliant. But I think it just, it's just a testament to your character. I think there's a good message for people listening to this is it's all right to fail. And actually... You only fail when you stop trying. Exactly. You only fail when you stop and trying. I know that sounds really cheesy, but it actually is really true. Yeah, it is. And, and, I, I think, and, I've and no seen one cares. People. When, when you missed, when you didn't finish the arg, did anyone go to you and, and think less of you? Did, it was terrible. Did, I had a woman behind me for weeks with a bell, singing <laughs> shame. I had to walk through the streets naked. No one gives a shit about any of it. Exactly. But it feels like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. But do you know what? It's running. It's our leisure time. It's our hobby. We choose to do it. We Very few of it. us. We, we get, get to, to do it. it. Yeah. Very few of us will ever be at that point where we're. It's our career, and with ultra running, it's not anyone's career because there's no money in it. <laughs> so you know, you're lucky. It costs more to do it than you will ever win. You know, yes. the kit costs more. So it's not really about any of that. Um, and I think that's important to remember. Like it is your leisure time. And it, you get and it, to do it. And it doesn't matter if you fail. And if you go back again and win, actually the win is more... And not that you have to win the race, but as in you win against mm. your personal goal, then, the, then that's also, more sweeter. There's the thing about going, do you know what? That's not for me. 
Like, because I think some sometimes people are like, I have to, if I've done a marathon, then I have to do an ultra, then I have to do a 50, then I have to do a 100. You don't have to do anything. Sometimes it's just not for you. Like, sometimes it's just not your yeah. thing. And I've done races where I've been like, oh, I should be doing this because it's the next thing on the career list. And I'm like, actually, I don't really like this. So why the hell am I doing it? Like, why yeah. am I wasting my precious life? I think doing that goes back to your earlier point about what's your motivation, what's your yeah. reason for doing this. And I think sometimes we're motivated by what other people sort of tell us to do. Mm. And it might not be quite as prescriptive as them telling us, but social media shows all of these journeys from here to here and actually just get comfortable with what you like. If you think that section was deep, then just wait for part two. So let's quite literally lighten up in the next section with some Petzl head torches. We're now moving into the kit review part of the episode. And I'm here with James from Petzl, uh, which are the fantastic um, head torches and lamps. Um, welcome. Thanks hey, very much. How are you doing? Very good. All good? Enjoying it's, the show? It's busy. Yeah. Saturday's always busy here. Yeah. Um, I think this is our fourth or fifth year. Um, Stan's buzzing. All good. Answering lots of questions. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, Fantastic. So my first question, and yeah. I, I always like this being obviously a brand guy as well, is what's the? Give us a little bit of background to the actual brand itself. Petzl's kind of family-owned business based out in Kroll in France and have been since the start. And their passion really was for sort of caving and climbing initially. Okay. So they developed all their own products from scratch and basically that sort of authentic for the athlete, by the athlete message is still there now and it's still the same company, family-run company today. Fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah really great. I, see, I see it quite a lot on social media across some of the people I follow and they're yeah. off doing amazing races with, with your products. So. It, it's a brand that's synonymous really with quality, um, durability, it's sort of doesn't really need to sell itself almost. It's just always been there as like the pinnacle of the products that they're involved in, which obviously traverses across into the climbing world too. Fantastic. Yeah. So talk me through some of the products yeah. and what you've got for runners in particular. <clears throat> this caught my sort of eye in terms of the yeah. size if we start with this. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, talk me through it. Yeah, so the Petzl range really caters from everybody from sort of general sort of day-to-day -day use all the way through to high-end performance lamps for really yeah. long duration and obviously into the rock and, and climbing scene and caving scene. That that you've got there is called the Bindi. Okay. Uh, and that's a lamp that's specifically designed to be fast, easy to use, easily stowable, comes out basically at the, you know, click of your fingers. Yeah, it's great. Rechargeable, so just in, yeah. into the USB socket as soon as you get home. A yeah. couple of hours of juice, back yeah. to full charge. And that crosses over into a sort of more urban user market. Yeah. That's what we'd say to somebody. If you're somebody who likes to run in the evening or early in the yeah. morning, yeah. crossing over between sunset, sunrise, yeah. stow it in your pocket, you won't even notice it's there. On it goes, bam, two hours of great quality light, off Brilliant. you go. Two hours. Yeah, yeah that's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. You're doing a bit of run commuting back and from work. It goes into Don't your even bag. notice you're carrying it. Don't even it. know you're carrying it. Absolutely. Yeah. So for the people that are just listening to this podcast, it's super light. It's, yeah. pro it's what it's probably you know less than a kiwi. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. absolutely it's tiny. It's really tiny and yeah. super light. It's great. And so that's the bindi. Weight in a headlamp is important. So if some of the bigger lamps, the unit lamps yeah. on the front, they tend to bounce if they're not you know secured properly. Yeah. You don't need that much light. You don't need that much power often. And yeah. the weight on the front is a consideration. And that obviously sits just really nicely on your head. Fantastic. Yeah. And what else have we got here then? So what's the, yeah. what's the next one? Yeah, so I bought a few things from the range, really. Yeah. Um, more traditional looking headlamp. Um, yeah. 
This is what I like, sort of the main utility lamp for running. This is called the Actic Core. And core technology really is all about this battery, which um, is not in this lamp because you can replace the core battery with AAA batteries as well. So okay. it's versatile in terms of you use a core battery, yeah. which is a rechargeable unit, comes out exactly like that and pops in there, mm -hmm. or you can use the AAAs. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea really with this is it covers all bases, uh, runs up to 600 lumens. Mm -hmm. Now, the lumens factor in headlamps is crucial. A lot of people okay. buy off the numbers on the box. And there's a bit of an arms race in the headlamp world of who's got the most lumens. You know, right. we're up to 1,000, 1,500, 2,500. Right. It's kind of a bit of a... Um, to put it into scale, sorry yeah, to interrupt, yeah, yeah. but the bindi, what's that as a kind so of... So you can get 300 lumens out of that right. for a good okay. bank of time. Yeah. For any runner... Unless you're running super technical, fast downhill mountain trails, yeah. um, four to 500 lumens is absolutely adequate. So something yeah. like the Actic Core that goes up 600 lumens is really going to do 99% of everything you need. Yeah, do and honestly, with any headlamp that's quoting numbers beyond that, that's more like a super boost or a half an hour duration if you really needed to get yeah. the max out of a lamp. Or, of course, if you're on a mountain bike or something like that. And a lot yeah. of these units disconnect, especially Active mm. Core is a good example. The head units can't come off and can clip into a bike mount. So you can Never. actually use them yeah. on a bike or a helmet instead of just as a headlamp. Fantastic. But to all intents and purposes, from a runner's point of view, if you're seeing four or 500 lumens yeah. advertised, that's that's all enough. you're ever going to need. That's all I need. Absolutely. All I need is a, is a kind of, I'm more of a little bit of trail, but mostly running on roads, yeah. around parks. Yeah. It's, yeah, perfect. Okay. And I think cool. there is a lot of jargon out there and a lot of numbers. So people yeah. want to know, how long is my battery going to last and yeah. how bright is it? Yeah. The brightness thing, I think, we just answered, but the battery life thing is the other major consideration. Yeah. <laughs> so generally speaking, some of the more expensive lamps will last for longer. Mm. I always ask the runner first, if they're interested in a headlamp, What's the maximum usage you're probably going to get? Are you interested yeah. in running an ultra, you yeah. know, Tom Evans style yeah. going out to do UTMB? You're going to yeah. need 12 hours of battery life. Yeah. That completely changes the consideration about the lamp that you're going to use. Um, but this Actic Core is kind of your, your bulletproof, really, really high end, but without being all singing, all dancing, Got reactive it. lighting. So that's for me. Yep. What's for Tom Evans and for the people out there that are going out for over 12 Multi. hours? Yeah. 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 So the the new Swift RL yeah. and the now RL, RL stands for reactive lighting. Okay. And where these are so clever mm -hmm. are that you've got three constant lighting settings so you know exactly to the T once yeah. the battery's fully charged how much life you're going to get out of that battery. But the genius is in the reactive setting. So low, medium, high, and the ambient light, it adjusts to the ambient light. So if I, if I, if I put my finger Got over it. the eye on the lamp, you'll notice it feels it's darker, so it increases the light being generated so by the lamp. So for the people that are listening to the podcast, what James is doing is there's, there is a, uh, there's a little sensor on the side of the, of, the, of the light. That's correct. And as soon as he's putting his um, finger over it, Boost the light. Lighter. It thinks it knows it's darker, essentially, yeah, yeah. and so it increases the light. But then, so, so you're okay. running often between high street, um, you know, urban area street lamps, back out into a dark field. Yeah. Less light required. Fabulous. So the battery life's extended. Brilliant. 
the, the now RL and the... Um, and what's that and called? The, that? That's called the Swift RL. Swift RL. Okay. And the maximum lumens out of that's 1,100. Wow. Huge. Okay. And what does this retail at in terms of 110 pricing? pounds. 110. And okay. translating to real world use, you're mm -hmm. going to get eight hours of the best quality lighting. You know, six, seven, eight hundred lumens mm -hmm. easily on a yeah. reactive setting. Yeah. So if I'm Tom Evans running UTMB, I'm thinking that's probably my go-to. Yeah. The other thing is with this headband, and just to explain, I'm compressing this down into something that easily yeah. fits in the palm of my hand. Mm -hmm. uh, super packable. Can I, uh feel yeah and it's not actually that heavy is it it's not no. and it doesn't bounce on the front of your head yeah the um, is it, there's a tipping yeah. point there where more yeah. power more yeah. weight and more movement yeah which it, it gets the balance right yeah very good and at the very top of the tree is this now rl um yeah. this is a lamp that where the battery pack is on the back of the head and there's a very lightweight led board on the front wow. so that the weight is more balanced across your head okay. so Again, a lot of people prefer that because it feels more balanced front to back. Yeah. This goes up to 1,500 lumens. Okay. So it's the next level again. Wow. Rechargeable battery on the back with a flashing red yeah. LED, which is a great safety feature. Yeah. Um, both um, the now RL and the Swift RL have got a new piece of technology called an accelerometer in, which basically, essentially, it, it reads the speed at which your movement and, and adjusts the light based on that speed. So, for example, a mountain biker needs a completely different level of light to a runner for obvious reasons, yeah. and it's now adjusting naturally for that. So yeah. they're just getting cleverer and cleverer, and the battery life is then extending further and further. Yeah. So I used this at the Spine Race in 2023, which is a, a, a long winter um, yeah. race along the Pennine Way, yeah. and I'm getting 20 hours of battery life out of, of one battery. So yeah. that is really the top of the tree. And I imagine that sits on your head and it feels like you forget you've even got it on. That's exactly the point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's a little less packable. You'll yeah. notice the construction yeah. of it. Yeah. It's much more designed for you're going to have this on for long durations. Fantastic. Come what may. And it retails at? 150. 150. So that's the, that's the, that's top, the top end top of end. the Petzl Spectrum. Fantastic. And just to come back to it, um, the Bindi, 40 what are we pounds. looking? 40. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice uh, and tool. we go, you know, the Tequina, which is a AAA um, battery, does yeah. work with the core battery, 22 quid, and is perfectly adequate for running around the streets at night. So there's a Fantastic. full range from Pestle, yeah. from, you know, click and go to top of, the, top of the line. Brilliant. I, well, that's answered all my questions. Um, thanks very much, James. Pleasure. That was Absolute brilliant. Pleasure. Thanks uh, very much. Thanks very much. And, uh, yeah, concludes our little little kit review for this episode thank you if you've got any sort of race coming up this year then this tech section might be your savior so let's kick over to mike and cooper running hi guys mike here for this tech review we have got pete from cooper running to talk about their technology so tell us all about it mate so what Cooper Runcoach is, is a personalised Runcoaching app. We're trying to be the most flexible app on the market. So we really believe that what runners want is the ability to change their runs whenever they want, change the amount of days they train, um, be able to chat with real life inhuman coaches and really get ability to the best kind of training plans on the market. Okay, so talk me through that because I've I've never used like a coaching app, and I don't don't sign me up right now. But let's see how it goes. Um, to, like, why would I use it? Like, what and what does it do? So I think the big reason why you would use it is moral affordability. So um, I would never sit here and say what a run, a in real life person, run coach does is not good. And we're not trying to replace that. We think they've definitely got a big part of the market and a big place in the market. It's expensive, right? It's expensive. Coach, yeah. So I lost my job in 2019, uh, sorry, 2020, uh, through COVID. I was working in travel. I couldn't afford my run coach anymore. I turned to PDF plans and was like, 
what are these like yeah. you know on the fridge crossing them out i was like this doesn't work and i've done those so back in the day that used to be hey how to train for a marathon week one you must do this and it, and it just tells you runs to do it doesn't tell you about pace it doesn't tell you about i mean when it, they got more advanced over time so you're kind of a bridge between that and a coach you're somewhere in the middle exactly somewhere in the middle and like the beauty of cooper is if i want to start training like so we we're a partner of london marathon if you want to start training for london marathon today you can you don't need to wait until the 12 week plans alive the 16 week plans yeah alive. that you was always nuts today. yeah okay great okay so i can I, I can literally start today because most people don't conform to a 12 week training plan and hopefully they've got some base fitness right exactly and do yeah. i have to plug in some details about myself so you know what to serve me back as an app Exactly. So that's exactly what we do. So a little bit like a real life coach would do. They'd send you a questionnaire. We do exactly the same on the app. And then we crunch all that data, user algorithms. And within about two minutes, you've got your personalized app. And then that updates as you train. So if you push it to Garmin, Garmin will then retail the app or if you record on the app and then it adapts in, in real time. Oh, should it link into Strava and things like that as well? And so that you can... It tells you off if you've been too fast or it, or it tells you to chill out. or Exactly, because a, a lot of the reason people don't make the start line is because they get injured. So they're yes. doing their long runs too fast. So we tell you to slow down. Um, if you're going too fast, we'll tell you you're going too fast. And it's our biggest question we get asked is, why are the long runs so much slower? Um, and that's why the chat with coach function is so great, because we can really give people that kind of VIP service. So if, if you, you, you can just message and, it, and a human comes back to you? Yeah, so there's a lot of talk about AI, machine learning on the chat side for us it's very much like we don't want to do that yet we very much want a real life coach on yeah. the other side because we think that's so important to somebody it's safety the as well event. Yeah. it's big safety getting them to the start line so yeah we've got real life uh, coaches around the world um, so we're able to service you 24-7 amazing so if I um, I'm asking for a friend so if I'm, <laughs> if I'm training for a big race and I've not actually got a training plan because I'm a bit useless in terms of my preparation and um you give me this tailored program, but I maybe, or this person maybe, goes out one night, has a few beers and a pizza, doesn't feel like doing the run the next day and doesn't do it, do I then get in trouble? No, so one of the big reasons I started is through mental health, which is kind of like a completely separate story. So for me, I don't want to give people that anxiety of mm. missing a session. So what we can do is, you know you're going on a big night Friday, you're not going to do your long run Saturday, you can go on and say change it to Sunday. Or for example, you might be going on a stag do, you usually want to train five days a week, but you know there's no training Just to clarify, this wasn't me, this is some guy who looks like me, but it does sound a lot like me. It was Mick, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. So, so actually it's really adaptable, which I think is quite... I, and I think that's plays to the mental health message, which I know you, you talk a lot about. And I, I could do a whole podcast about that with you because you've got one of the most inspirational stories out there. And I think anybody who's listening to this and, and wants to learn about Cooper, look up his story because it's really cool. But we're supposed to be talking about the tech. <laughs> so, um, OK, so we can we can change the app. So how much does it cost? So it's nine ninety nine a month or yeah. fifty nine ninety nine for a year. So we really want to keep it is to terrible. that coffee. Nine ninety nine a month or fifty nine ninety nine for a year. Yeah, so you're doing yourself out some months there. <laughs> <laughs> so half price for if you sign up for a year. So five pounds a five pounds a month if you sign up for a year. Brilliant. We want to kind of keep it to the price of a pint of coffee. Um, it's now cheaper than a pint in most cities as well. Yeah, especially London. Yeah, uh, mate. This is this is really good bit of tech. I think it's really interesting, and I hope some of our listeners or viewers. Uh, take it up and get involved um, if they want to find out more details we'll put your website uh, link in the show notes um, thank you very much for joining us guys this has been the tech interview with me Mike and Pete from Cooper Running cheers part two of Ali Bailey's chat now and just a warning that this interview does contain some terrible banter oh, oh and some strong language 
But I'm going to come back to what you were just talking about. You kind of glossed over the fact that you ran the length of the UK. Sure. Just for sure. bounce. Sure. Did, like, how, how was that? Bored. Why not run the length yeah. of the UK? <laughs> uh, we did a, a route from uh, the end to end route, which is Land's End to John O'Groats. We did it on trails and uh, like little country B roads. Took 35 days, so took our time on it. Like 30 to 40 miles a day. Really lovely, and it, it it took on some of uh, a lot of the national trails, so like Southwest Coast Path, Offers Dyke, um, the Great Glen, West Highland Way, your oh. fave. Oh, I like the West Highland yeah, Way. Yeah, I love it. Um, and then bits that you're not really allowed on, like the Lockquire Estate in the north of Scotland. We ran across that. Oh, and, so you um, sort of trespassed. No, 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 we were allowed. <laughs> we have a definition. But it was a test for an event that um, that they're running now with like 40 or 50 people going at a time, and that was like one of those things where it. Felt impossible. It said 1,052 miles in 35 days. It felt impossible, but once you're in it, again, it's that thing of it's the simplicity of the whole thing. Just get up, eat, run, eat, run, go to sleep, do the same thing. What was the support like on that? Because it was a test for a race, right? It was so. incredible. It was incredible. We had vehicle support, so we saw them once a day. We were staying in Airbnbs, hostels, whatever we could get our hands on. And um, the crew were amazing, and it was just... It was just easy living. It just felt like easy living. It felt like this is your job now. This is what you do. And when we came back, there was like t maybe 10 of us on the team. It was like we all had post-traumatic stress disorder and had to be weaned back into society <laughs> because we were like, oh, God, you've got to look at the internet Does again. the banter get like, like, do you become really close? or You become it... super close because it's a bit like, you know, you weren't there, man. You weren't there. Like... <laughs> We've all, we're, all, we're all still in a WhatsApp group. We all still see each other all the time. Um, a few of us were really good mates before because you've got to take people on something like that that you like because if yeah. you take people you don't like, it goes south. That can quick. be awkward. So awkward. Was there anyone you didn't like? No. Oh. I, took, I took people I liked. Okay. Um, and now they've put on the public event, actually, they've all gelled so well. It's like, it's just, I think you've got to be a special type of person, haven't you, to like, Stand to at sign the start up for line something, something like that, like that. absolutely. Yeah. And actually, to do it as a test pilot, I mean, that's that's even more stress because, like, no one's really done it this way before. No. That's why you're mapping the route. But, like, I'm all about world firsts. So, like, you know, with FKT, yeah. fastest known time, someone can take that off you. But no one can take a world first. Yeah, you can't be world first twice. Can't be world Doesn't first. Doesn't work twice. like that, no, does it? No, you can so. be as slow as you want and as rubbish as you want. You're <laughs> the first person to do it. So, I'm conscious I don't have all day and Dom will tell me off, but how many world firsts have you done? One, two, three, four, okay, five. Well, what are your five world firsts um, that you did? Namibia, across the Namib Nukluf Park. So, tell us briefly what that 135 is. 135 miles running across the Namib Nukluf Park from east to west to the wreck of the Bolan. It's the oldest desert on Earth. Amazing. Um, then, Mongolia, 100 miles across Lake Cosgold, frozen lake, minus 45. Sure. <laughs> Just for bounce. Just for, just for a laugh. Yeah. It was really cold. <laughs> Panama Canal. Yep. As far as I know, I'm the only woman to have run, along, run the length of the Panama Canal. Um, and then the Panamanian jungle, coast to coast. Self-supported job. And that one... Was horrendous. Was the one that, like, really broke you, right? Yeah. So you want to talk quickly about that? Don't go to the jungle. Don't go in there. <laughs> the jungle is horrendous. It, everything wants to kill you. You can't get out. If you get lost, it's really serious. And it's horrendous. And that was the place where I spent, you know, I was, whilst I was doing these things, I was not well mentally. But you have to face yourself when you're in those situations. You've got no internet, no phone, no friends. 
and that and I've, I've written about that in the book in quite a lot of detail where yeah. I thought this is it it can't I can't be more frightened of myself than I am now because I just kept thinking terrible thoughts but when I but I realized that thinking those thoughts won't kill you because it doesn't I was uh, reading that section of the book is the bit where you run off and it, I, I won't spoil it for people who haven't read it but they're it's it's compelling but it's terrifying it's almost like we're in there with you mm. and it's it just genuinely feels like one of the scariest running experiences i've ever heard of and i kind of i felt that through the book mm. I could, it felt really terrifying so which which leads me neatly on it's almost like i planned this um <laughs> to pro. your book you've got you've got a book out i've got a book out I how did that happen well i wrote it took ages amazing um the section about the jungle was actually about 60,000 words long, which is <laughs> the, the size of a book. I had to skin it down to a tiny, tiny amount. But, um, yeah, it's about, like... So the book is called There Is No War, and it's about this idea that running alone won't save you, and people believe it will. So there's so many th things where people are like, I do it for my mental health, running has saved me, but it, running alone won't save you, and expecting it to is futile because you'll end up hating it because it won't do the job you want it to do someone said to me running is uh therapeutic but it isn't therapy it isn't therapy therapy is something different mm. go and get some therapy running is therapeutic it will help you absolutely no question about it but it also really hindered me especially with the drinking because it actually allowed me to drink more because i could be social with other runners I could prove that there was nothing wrong with me and crack on drinking. I used to drink on runs. You look at those beer miles, there's like races sponsored by beer companies. You hear stories of Camille Heron drinking beer on races. It's everywhere. It's totally socially acceptable. You came to visit my house before you ran an ultra and you, sma absolutely you smashed hammered. a bottle of wine like it was nothing. And I was like, Ali's amazing. Like, how can she do that and keep going? Didn't really know what was going on on the underneath. Because people yeah. thought it was rock and roll. Well, and I, it, I, to be honest, I was impressed by it. And it's, and actually, you look back on it now, and you, none of us knew. What well, it was really, you're just really sad. And I think a lot of people hide it. And it's a socially acceptable drug, and it's the only drug in society where if you're not doing it, people ask why you're not doing it. Like you're weird. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. People don't go. Oh, why are you taking cocaine? <laughs> Do they? Or like, oh, are you sure you don't want a little bit of this spliff? Like, you say no, people, people yeah, like, people it's a no. leave you alone. Or like yeah. cigarettes, and like, have a bit, have a bit. Oh, go on, just have a little bit. You just have one. Just have yeah. one, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. But with drinks, if you say you're not drinking, people want to know why. That's a really interesting it's point. It's really weird. And like, you know, you look at things like dry January, and people are like, oh my God, it's just so hard, isn't it? It's like, if you're saying it's hard to not drink, then you need more than a dry January. You really do. Like, hmm. it's very, very interesting. But... There's so much money in it. So, um, yeah, the, so, but the book, you know, the other thing is I've learned a lot about about ways that I can best live better and cope better through reading lots of books and through listening to lots of podcasts, talking to people, being a coach, you know, coaching my athletes. I learn loads from them. So I want the book to help people and I want them to know that, that when you are trapped in addiction, whatever that addiction is, you feel like you're on your own. There's so much shame and, you're, and it, when you're trying to hide it, it's exhausting that's when people do stupid stuff, man. Like, that's when bad things happen to people. And I just want them to, to read it and to be like, it's okay to be like that. There is nothing wrong with being addicted to substances or, or behaviours that are addictive. There's nothing wrong with your brain. It's working perfectly well. Mm. But if you want the help, the help is there. And I just think we need to shift the shame away from, like, you know, what, what can't you control yourself? None of us can control ourselves. I'm sorry, but none of us. I definitely can't control There's us. lots of things we don't control ourselves with. It's absolutely normal behaviour, so it should be normalised. And if people want help to stop it, then they should 
get the help that they need. So I, I think you you have this beautiful way of talking about really complicated, deep and, and actually quite important subjects, but you do it in a way that's quite funny and quite engaging, and I think that really comes across in the book. Um, oh, thanks. I, I feel weird saying nice things to you. Um, oh, no, it's horrible. But actually, in, in all seriousness... Um, I was a bit worried about reading the book because I was kind of like, this is going to be a little You can't read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no pictures. <laughs> yeah, no pictures. But I was, actually, I thought it was going to be quite a downer and actually I didn't find it that way at all. I felt it dealt with some really, really deep and complicated stuff, but in a fun way. Mm -hmm. And actually it's quite uplifting, particularly at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so I would urge everybody to buy it. I, you touched briefly on your community. Um, oh, yeah. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? So when... Years ago, I was like, I can't find the answers to any of my ultra questions without feeling like an absolute idiot. Like, because I felt like people were like, huh, you don't know what poles are. And I'm like, no, I don't know what poles are. Oh, what yeah. are poles? Yeah. Oh, I remember you called them cheat sticks. And cheat I, sticks. I thought you were talking about cigarettes. I remember asking you once. They're, <laughs> they're called glory poles now. Um, glory poles? Glory poles. Oh, let's, yeah. let's leave that <laughs> where it is. They're called cheat sticks and glory poles. So, um, so... I set up this little Facebook group called Ultra Awesome and I was like, and I invited some people to join it who I knew had some good advice and then it grew from there and it's basically a place where people can come and ask any question and uh, I say it's for the ultra lost or ultra curious because I feel like there's so much information about ultra you can get quite like, ah, like there's too much. Yeah. You know, it's not just about elite mountain runners, like mountain goats, it's about back of packers, it's about hiking, it's about so much more than that and there's so many different types of people that get involved so many there's a company for everyone basically mm. you know it's not just a couple of ultra companies and i've got so much from ultra running like so much that i just want to spread the love a little bit and i want people to believe that they can achieve it i think especially in like mass media there's like this obfuscation of ultra which makes it sound harder than it is so you get things like big fundraisers where it's like i'm gonna do this and it's really really hard it's the hardest thing i've ever done and that puts people off even giving it a go yeah and i think that it should be something that everybody should have the opportunity to do because it's super good for your physical mental health you meet amazing people and in the time where we're glued to our devices you form these actual real life bonds with people yeah. it's really hard to do on any other sport Football, rugby, you don't get that FaceTime you do when you're on a trail with someone for three hours. Well, or even longer. I mean, sometimes you can be there half a day. Well, those guys are still on the Pennine Way and they've been going for six days now. So I mean, I'm so sure they've had some conversations. So for people who don't know what that is, that's the spine race, which mm. is probably the UK's hot, toughest Britain's race, I'd most say. Brutal. Yeah, and I'd it's say. that for a reason. And, it, and it's, I mean, it's horrendous. Two, how many miles? 200 268 miles yeah. along the Pennine Way. Starts, uh, starts in Edale, finishes in Kirk, get home, which is actually in Scotland. And um, yeah, they've got six and a half days to finish it, and some of them are still out there. And it's the terrain is brutal, mm. and that was what you were out there crewing. So yeah, yeah. Any chance we get you to have a go at that? Hundred percent, yes. I got a spine worm in my head, <laughs> right? And I was like, no. Um, but yes, <laughs> after, totally after crewing it, it, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to do this. I don't know, there's a summer spine and a winter spine. Summer spine is easier because it's in the summer, allegedly. Turns out. Mm. So I'm doing the Challenger, so I'm doing the 108 mile Challenger. What is it? South. Um, in this, this summer. I'm going to go back and crew again next year, and then we'll see what happens the following year. But that's a lot of training oh. and a lot of mental... Like, it's self-supported, there's no support. So you get an aid station, but there's like 100k between the aid stations. And, and you're, you're literally own. in the middle of nowhere, right? That, yeah, I mean, you're that... on your own. You're oh not allowed crew, Lord. you're not allowed support. But that is, that is a, that's a pretty epic attempt. Yeah, yeah. But how, do you mean, reckon, how do you reckon you're fair? I reckon you'll smash I'm like, it. I'll die out there. 
Um, I don't, I don't know. But if you think about so Jack Scott, who won it this year, it took him seventy-two hours, and that was ten hours off the course record. Insane. So that's that's insane speed. That's three days. Insane. So for most people, it takes between sort of five and six days. I mean, that guy is made of something else. He's the greatest young ultra runner that this country's ever produced by accident. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but to top it off, look, I think. I mean, we could sit here all day and we've already gone over our time limit, yeah. but I don't care because it's been super fun. Um, but for anybody who wants to find out more about you or Ultra or some, where should they go? Um, Instagram, AB underscore runs. It's Ali, not Abby. Um, <laughs> uh, or Ultra Awesome on Facebook, you can find me there. Or uh, Vertebrate Publishing, publish my book, so you can get your books from there. And we will put all of those links in the description. Ali Bailey, I could genuinely talk to you for seven days. Um, maybe I'll come on Let's the spine with you. Let's do So thank you for coming on. Uh, you've been a brilliant guest. Um, on to the next bit. No jokes about that, because that was a genuinely awesome conversation. And we're going to stick with long-form running with GB Ultras. Hi guys, Mike here. I'm here for the race review for this episode. I'm here with Laura from GB Ultras. Hi Laura. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Okay, so in our race reviews, what we like to tell people is about um, different new races that they might find around the UK. You do quite a few, don't you? Yes, we do. We do several all around the UK, um, England, Scotland and Wales, um, going from urban events like Manchester to Liverpool, or mountain events like the Brecon Beacons. Wait, hang on. Manchester to Liverpool, Brecon Beacons. So I'm assuming these are not low distances. Are these oh, ultramarathons? No, these are ultramarathons, okay. yeah. So we do anything from 50 miles up to our title race, um, race across Scotland, which is 215 miles. 215 miles. How yes. long does that take? Um, I think the record at the minute is around 60 hours. Um, 60 yeah. hours? And do they sleep on the trails? or? Um, some of them will sleep. Some of them will just go straight through. Um, it's... They have a plan A, B, C, D, E, and just and plan sort of, F is yeah. stay home and eat food and <laughs> yeah. don't do that because that sounds crazy. Yeah, that's incredible. So and and there's entry level races as well, right? For people just yeah. starting on an ultra journey. Yeah. So our entry level races are more like the Manchester to Liverpool, um, Chester Ultra Fifty Mile, um, Glasgow to Edinburgh. Um, we mark all those routes so they're easy to follow, straightforward, uh, plenty of aid stations along the way. So Now I'm a little biased because I've actually <laughs> run the Glasgow to Edinburgh Ultra with Dom who's our producer who's hidden behind the camera because he's got a face for radio. And uh, it's an absolutely brilliant route because it's, it's really accessible for a first timer, right? Because it's yeah, quite flat. Absolutely, it's flat, it's all canal. I think there's about three turns on the route. So you turn off one canal onto another, yeah. off the canal onto the water of Leith, and then you're finished. Pretty and much. pretty amazing views, actually. And you go through this cool yeah. tunnel section as well, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a few cool tunnels. Uh, Falkirk Tunnel. Um, and there's one just af after Falkirk Wheel that's got some sort of disco lights going on in it, which is quite fun. Yeah, that well. is pretty cool. Yeah. So what would you say makes your races different from other people's? Um, I think we've built up a really good community. Um, we've got lots of welcoming ambassadors. Um, we have a Facebook community as well. Um, it's quite open. You can ask questions and things like that. Um, we have regular checkpoints on all of our routes. So you're not out there for miles and miles at a time. Um, Loads sort of, of food as well. The food is Loads amazing. Loads of food. Salted potatoes. Yeah, I think sal that, that's what we're known for, I think. So that's the thing. Apparently, this is huge in America, right? Salted yeah, potatoes. Yeah. And it's uh, you don't get it in many UK ultras, but no, you do. but we do salted potatoes at every checkpoint. So, like, the day before a race, I think our, our, our like, 
most we've ever done is around 50 kilos of salted potatoes. Which is um, pretty much what I ate when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, for just for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So these are, there's, there's a range of routes, there's a range of races. Um, what's the sort of prices to get involved in these things? Is it, is it hundreds and hundreds of pounds? Um, no, I personally think we're a really reasonably priced um, running event. So the 50 milers start at £99. Amazing. Um, and the 100 milers are 189 And then we've got Race Across Scotland, which is in a league of its own. Um, and that's 699 Fantastic. Well, OK, guys, if you're interested in trying your first ultra or going and doing some crazy multi-day thing across Scotland, then get in touch with GB Ultras and, and maybe come and see them when you're next at the National Running Show. Yes, do. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. All of this voiceover work is making me a little bit thirsty, which is why it's lucky that this next section with SIS is all about hydration. Hey guys, for this nutrition section, I am delighted to be joined by Emily Jevons from SIS. Um, Emily has a PhD in nutrition and is going to talk to us about staying hydrated for short runs and also for longer runs. So, Emily, let's start talking with the shorter runs. So, what would you recommend? Is it a before, during and after? How important is hydration? Does it on a, yes. on a 5k, does it really matter? Yes, it'll still matter. With your shorter distance, so thinking 5k, 10k, maybe anything under an hour really, uh, depending on how long it takes you to do these runs, everyone's welcome to their own speeds. We'd recommend really focusing on being hydrated beforehand, because mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't really want to carry hydration. So how do you do that? Event. Just drink pints of water? That, and it's also thinking about salts, because when we sweat, we lose water and salt together, and that's why you'll see a lot of sports nutrition products around electrolytes. Um, and you often see, like, in hot weather, you get, people get, like, white, salty yeah. residue, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the electrolytes that's you're using, that's your salts. Um, your salts, yes. So mostly sodium, but there's also some potassium, magnesium, other electrolytes that we also sweat out. Well. And it's really important to replace those, because if you just drink water, what happens? So essentially it's to do with fluid balance. I'm not going to go too in-depth on the science, but it's to do with how your cells work. And yeah, we want to replace those salts so everything works optimally. Um, dehydration of even like 2% of your body weight will affect your performance negatively. That's what the science has been telling us for years. Mm -hmm. So we just want to keep hydrated. Again, and people, people often lose weight in races, right? Which yeah. is generally water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so taking right. it back to your shorter mm -hmm. races, your 5Ks and yes. your 10Ks, um, you said hydrate before. So yeah. Take salts beforehand? Like, is that the kind of thing that you should do? Yeah, so you could take um, some kind of supplement if you wanted to, or just ensuring you're having a bit of salt in your diet. If you'd prefer the supplement approach to make sure you're taking on the right amount, mm -hmm. um, there's supplements such as the Science and Sport Go Hydro, which contain actually nothing but electrolytes, really. I think mm -hmm. it's like seven calories, so they are just hydrogen. I've used these, yeah. Have you? Yeah. What do you think? I really like them. Do you yeah. have a favourite flavour? The or berry one. Yeah, the berry's my favourite, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Berry or the pineapple and mango's also Ooh, very good. Oh, I've not had that. Yeah. That sounds quite cool. Because then um, they're quite tasty. They're yeah, all right, yeah. I think they are as well. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little bit biased there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we do also have one flavour, the cola flavour, that does have caffeine as well. So if you'd want a caffeine hit... As, as well before you go on your 5k or 10k then that's probably so for a 5k and a 10k you wouldn't you, I, mean, I mean unless you're really gunning it do you really need to take hydration on as you're going or it would depend on how long it's going to take you and also the conditions yeah but m most people i'd say probably don't need to hydrate especially in a 5k it depends mm. a little bit on how long you're going for but probably carrying something's going to hinder you because you'll be finished before you know it you can have another drink then but 10ks you might want to especially if it's really 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 hot 
Is there a kind of time on feet that you recommend when you start to carry hydration? Um, over an hour, but again, depends on conditions. If it's super, super hot, like maybe you're racing in Hawaii, <laughs> then, I wish. Yeah, then you'd probably want to take it a bit sooner, maybe like 40-ish minutes, but again, depends a little bit on the temperature. And also everyone has individual sweat rates. Some people sweat loads, some people People have don't. individual sweat rates? Yeah, we don't all sweat the same. So how do I know if I'm like sweaty or not sweaty? I mean, obviously I can feel it. Well, but... you can tell if you're a salty sweater because you, like you said, you might have like a white crust mm. on your face afterwards where you might be going, why has my mate not got any on yeah. his face? Why only me? They're probably not a salty sweater, whereas you are. So it's worth making a note of that as well. And if you are, because I've had that, mm. so I've, I've run on longer distance races and I've yeah. come away and I've been covered in salt and it's not pretty. Um, and but, but actually, like, what should I do in that instance? So working out in training, what works for you first mm. of all, but each sports nutrition brand will have like slightly different amounts of sodium in, things like that. So some of them are like slightly higher strength, some of them are slightly lower strength and it's worth having a, a look around to find what works. So higher strength if you see the white residue? If you're really sweaty, uh, yeah. not sweaty, salty, then it might be worth <laughs> going for like a higher strength one. Or some of them just have like, you can have more servings. So for example, with the SIS ones, you can have four of those a day, like that's the maximum. Right. Um, so you might take two, for example, if you think you're quite a salty sweater. There are sweat tests you can do out there, but I'm not sure how accessible they are to everyone but you could look into it in your local area yeah <laughs> if, okay. you, if you really want to go into that much detail you can and so for shorter runs it's about doing it beforehand but yes. for your longer so a lot of people at this time of year training up for marathons mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about sort of the marathon distance and those longer runs how would you do that what's your what's your plan is it is it just take it as you go or i'm yeah. assuming there's a plan yeah there, there, well, there is for most people um, depending on the event, so half marathons and marathons, you might want to carry it yourself. Yep. But there's also sometimes stuff available. Always check the event guide because mm. each event's different, but they would probably tell you what's like there at the aid stations. A lot of the time they'll have water, but they'll also have an electrolyte solution. So it's worth checking what's available there and you could alternate so between So I'm interested stations. in this, right, because okay. we always talk about um, practising with nutrition in yes. advance and then a lot of people get to race day and they're suddenly consuming something that they've never consumed before. Why check the event guide first? So I think that's really good. Yeah. What's available on the day? And actually, or carry your own. It doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing because I'm sure no. that 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 supplement can be really good. But actually, you might not be getting the same level of salt. So when you're checking, is that that's probably the thing to look yeah. for? Yeah. Right? And also, to be honest, I would recommend if you can carry your own, do carry your own. Um, that's my personal preference anyway. Like I like having a hydration vest, and I know what I'm having then, and I know it suits my body because I've yeah. practiced with it in training. Again, how much to have will vary a little bit on your preferences and whether you also just want to go electrolyte on its own and think about your carbohydrates separately or some people prefer a combination approach like we have a powder called go electrolyte which mm. has 36 grams of carbohydrate and electrolytes so you can almost do yeah. two in one if that's what suits you so i think one of the things that used to really stress me out about running marathons you'd hear all these stories about not hydrating enough and then over hydrating um, so how do I know if I've drank too much water or I've not had enough salt or I've not had you know I've not had enough water what what do I need to do what well, do I need to look there's for? not really one size fits all approach here because it will depend again on individual sweat rates hmm. so but are there any signs I can look out for in my body like if in my fingers or in with my eyes or anything like that they're or all they're all kind of similar for dehydration and overhydration you're gonna just feel a bit more unwell you okay. might be headachey you might feel a bit dizzy and stuff they're actually quite similar is that right yeah oh, wow, but you okay. just don't know which of them spectrum yeah. you are well i guess if you drank a lot you probably know that you might have overhydrated in that case drunk but 10 pints of water and i feel a bit weird yeah. <laughs> yeah 
it's more just thinking about practicing during training though definitely and okay. figuring out so and it, but but for our sort of our, our audience listening is there any top tips i mean is there a certain anom- amount or something that you could say that somebody should take for a marathon or is it just you've got to just train with it i would say just train with it i wouldn't say there's an optimal amount because everyone's different body weights as well with different sizes that's true so like especially me at the moment especially straight after christmas i can't say what would work for me who's going to work for a six foot guy running Mm. you know it's uh, so i wouldn't say there is an optimal amount there that i can recommend personally okay fantastic so if um if we're thinking about sort of hydration, is there any sort of measure that you can give us for like sort of before and after how we could know what we should, what, what good hydration should look like? Yeah. So before around like two hours before ex- your beginning exercise where it's an event or training, exactly the same. Mm. You should be trying to have about six to eight millilitres per kilogram of body weight okay. of fluid in some form. Um, during again will depend a little bit on your individual sweat rate some people might not sweat that much and again you've got to think about the external conditions because that's going to make a massive difference mm-hmm. freezing at the moment isn't it yeah it really is yeah so you're probably not going to sweat yeah. that much then yeah. um, and then afterwards um, it's important to think about how much weight you've lost so if you are training this maybe weigh yourself before and after you run that's really interesting yeah, especially think for about your fluid loss that way and that's how a lot of people work out how much fluid they're losing just so, make sure you're wearing the same clothes things like that yeah <laughs> it's, it's really important so a lot of ultra runners do this on, on yeah. longer distance races weighing before and after and that's that's dehydration is a huge issue in especially multi-day ultras so that's a really good yeah, tip because so. then you can work out roughly how much you fluid you've lost yes you won't know exact salt amounts but you can work out fluid loss, so at least you know to replace that afterwards. Fantastic. This has been really interesting. Thank you so much for coming on, Emily. It's okay. Um, Okay, guys, on to the next bit. Massive fan of Mike using the word bit there because he has no idea what's coming up next. Well, coming up next is a really cool advice section with Harriet Trail Running. Hey guys, welcome to another advice section with the team from Harrier Trail Running. You may remember that we spoke about how to run an ultra in episode one with them. So welcome back to Kate and Dan. How are you guys doing? Hi, Dom. Thanks so much for having us back. Yeah, good. Thanks, Dom. Well, today we are going to be talking about how to run with poles. Now, for some people, experienced ultra runners and trail runners will know exactly what this is. And we'll be giving advice around how to maybe improve upon what you're doing already. But for some people, never would have run with poles, maybe even never really knew this was a thing. So to open it up, let's chat around what are running poles and why are they so useful okay so running with poles um they've definitely become a lot more popular in the past few years thanks to all of the elites across europe using them i think they were a little bit considered um unfashionable and fuddy-duddy in the years before because they were just for ramblers you know using them for their hiking and things but i think there's been a massive um lift in popularity for poles because people are seeing all the benefits Um, And personally, for myself, I'm a massive advocate of using poles. Um, I did a Bob Graham round recce with one of my friends years ago, and it allowed me to do leg two recce of that, which had got a lot of elevation. I borrowed somebody's poles, and I would never have been able to do that without them. And our Helvellyn poles are named after going up Helvellyn on leg two on that recce. Um, So they really do allow you to do things that you maybe couldn't have done before, can help you if you're coming back from injury or basically if you want to go from good to great they're not just for using as crutches for the last few miles of an ultra you can really use them to enhance your performance if you want to be um you know up in the top level of trail running 
a quick quip from me that I always uh, that I always add. I think the one thing that I always tell people about polls is um, they're uh, they're called cheat sticks often by people, and um, essen essentially they're not, but they're allowed in races. So you know that concept just gives you an idea that everyone accepts that they give you an advantage. Um, but they're but it's not you know but they're perfectly legitimate to use in races and challenges. No, nearly all races they are banned in a few and I think yeah. they're banned in Scotland. <laughs> check, check the details. That is true. <laughs> yeah, it, it tend the, the, one of the distinctions tends to be that in things like um, in things like um, fell running, which is a specific type of you know off road running, um, you tend not to use poles or I don't know if they're I don't know if they're actually even allowed in fell running, but um, it tends to be you know, no one tends to use poles in those sort of races. Um, whereas in the trail running world, there are a lot more people that tend to use poles. And just before we go into the specifics of what an actual pole might look like and the differentials between different poles and finding the one for you, how are they actually helping you? Are they taking weight off your foot or are they helping with rhythm? How is it kind of practically helping your body? So pra practically, um, and we can probably come on to this a bit more later as well, but um, what they what they essentially do is they give you another set of you know contact with the ground. So rather than just having your two um, your two legs in contact with the ground, you've got your two legs and your two poles. Um, depending on how you use your poles um, depends on really on what you get out of them. So if you if you you can you know put your poles straight down and they can take weight and pressure off your hips and knees and ankles um, and that can really help if you've got an injury or you've got something that's particularly sore. Um, the other way of looking at it is they can they can really help sort of you know um, from a performance aspect so if you look at the way that sort of cross-country skiers and um, those kind of sports use poles you know they're using poles to drive them forwards not just to sort of save their ankles or legs um, so it, what you get out of your poles tends to be tends to be based really on how you use them um, but either way however you choose to use them they they can offer a really big advantage in both aspects okay anything on top of that no, yeah, I'd say think about what you're using your poles for. And then, like Dan says, it's um, there's lots of different ways that, that can be great for all different types of runners. So I'm presuming there's not just one type of running pole that everyone uses, that it's, you know, made out of one thing. It's one size fits all. Or, or are there more kind of different types, whether it's material, sizing and, and kind of fit? Yeah, so rule of thumb, and some websites can be a little bit complicated or look a little bit complicated, but the rule of thumb is that you can either get aluminium poles, which are cheaper but a bit heavier. They're also bomb-proof because they're so strong because they're aluminium. And then on the other side of the spectrum is carbon, which is a lot lighter uh, but more expensive. And then the other thing that you might notice is that you have fixed-length poles or adjustable height. So adjustable height is great for beginners because if you're not sure what height your pole should be, you can get a feel for them, try different heights. I run a bit like Fred Flintstone, so I like my poles really low. And um, for other people, they might like them a little bit higher. Um, and then the fixed length poles, it doesn't mean that they're fixed as in your pole is constantly extended. It just means that you can't change the height of it. Okay, and to store the poles, can you break them down or does it depend on which one you have? Yeah, so it's a little bit like when you go camping and you get your poles out for your tent when you're wrestling with it in the winds and um, you extend your tent pole, put all the sections together and then it's locked in place, it's extended.
quick one quick thing on that to add from me as well is um one of the distinctions that I often get asked about is what's the difference between a trekking pole and a running pole? Um, so tre trekking pole, and do, do you have to have one or the other to do a certain activity? Um, the, the answer is you don't have to have one or the other to do a certain activity. They're just sort of more designed to be easier to use in a particular activity. And trekking poles tend to be um, sort of a bit heavier and they're often telescopic. So rather than with the running poles, they fold down like Kate just explains. Um, they tend to be telescopic, so they sort of pull out of each other and they don't fold down nearly as small as a, um, as a, as a, as a foldable running pole. Um, so you can use both, can, they can be interchangeable um, and definitely running poles can be used for trekking. It's probably harder to use trekking poles for running. Okay, and what sort of price range are we looking at for, for this type of thing? So, again, it's really good to check the small print because sometimes you'll get aluminium poles where people have not put the materials on, um, but they should be cheaper. So if you're looking on somebody's website and it doesn't say if they're aluminium or carbon, check on there. Um, so for an aluminium pair, ours are about uh, just under £40 uh, with a discount, about 35 and that's for the pair, not for single poles, which we get asked a lot. And for a carbon pair, you're looking anywhere up to the really high range of about £150 as a positioned at about £85 for the pair. Okay, so people that may not have experience in this area have learned a little bit around poles. Um, but let's come on to kind of going a bit more granular things and start looking at strategy for using them because... I, I guess to, to, to a layman who might not know loads, am I using them all the time? I'm like full on, or I guess, Dan, where's, where does strategy come into this? Um, so again, you, you, you have to just make up your own strategy and everyone's strategy will be different. And so some people will choose to use their poles all the time and some people will choose to um, use their poles, you know, just in certain situations. How, how you know, I'll, I'll talk a bit about how I see it and how, um, how most runners probably plan to use their poles. Um, the poles tend to be poles tend to be best when you're working hard to go up hills. You know, they that tends to be when they add the real the real value because you're you're driving up the hill, you're trying to get to the top. You can help your arms can propel you to the top, um, and also take a bit of weight off your legs. You know, so you'll probably get to the top of the hill in better condition than you would if you hadn't been using your poles. If you're using them in an efficient way. Um, that you c it's perfectly possible to um, to also sort of use them on the flats as well. Um, you, when you use them on the flats, it tend the you know you can either use them to be a supportive mechanism or you can use them to drive you forward. Um, and that's where things like Nordic walking technique come into play a bit. And you may have seen people walking around in the parks and things like that. Nordic walking, um, it's actually a really efficient way of using your poles and can be a really really good skill to learn for for ultra running. Um, it is also possible to use and can be really helpful to use poles um, going downhills. And when, you know, so if you're, you know, especially if your knees are a bit sore or you're struggling to, you know, sort of towards the end of a race to bend your knees and to really put when you're going to, descending, you can put your poles out in front of you and almost use them like a handrail to descend. Um, you know, so you plant them in front of you and then push and then sort of lower yourself down the hill on your poles. Um, so all of those different ways, you know, you can use your poles in different types of terrain. Um, it's really for you to try and work out in advance what, how you're going to approach it and how you would choose to use your poles in any particular challenge. For novices and experienced pole users and ultra runners alike, are there mistakes that you see 
quite often or what are some big mistakes that people make when using polls that you would probably advise against? Um, so um, aside from things like tripping up on polls, um, you know, which is a mistake, but you can't really do much about, but you never do it on purpose. But, um, you know, things like that. If, I, if I'm honest, the I think I think the biggest mistake I see people making um, is is carrying their polls for an entire race and not using them. Um, quite some and and that and there is one caveat to that because some people will have a strategy that they are only going to use their polls if my knee goes. They'll say, oh, you know, I've got a dodgy knee. If my knee goes or I get this certain injury, then I'm going to get my polls out and I'm going to crawl across the line, you know, using my polls to help me. Um, however. Lots of people will take polls, they won't have practiced with them, and they'll, they'll take them and they'll just, and they won't really have a strategy for how they're going to approach it. And they won't then get their polls out the rucksack or out the back of the vest and they won't use them. So essentially, you've just been carrying around dead weights for the whole race. What I've seen as well, my biggest mistake that I see people do is not having the hand in the strap properly. So you should have your hand in the strap a bit like a ski pole so all the weight is going through the heel of your hand through the strap but people are gripping onto the handles for dear life like trekkers do um, and it completely wipes out the nordic walking phase so we've got loads of help videos on how to do it properly and once you know how to do it right you become eagle-eyed noticing it that other people are doing it wrong as well <laughs> one one other one other thing to that to add to that as well um is when you're uh, when you have things in your hands um, like poles, um, it's really easy to forget about all the other things you should be doing with your hands. So it's really easy to forget about you know eating, and it's really easy to forget about drinking, and it's really easy to forget about like looking at your map and navigating. So when you've got your poles out, just you have to be very aware that you might you know you need to be sure that you're actually going to do all the other things you need to do as well as um, as well as using your poles. I think just to round things off, you referenced there the, the more information that's on the Harrier Trail Running website, which I think is really, really good to kind of supplement the advice that you've given here. Um, but one of the things that I did see that we've not spoken about is not just buying them and going out and straight and using them in an ultra race. It's actually practicing with them as well. Yeah, pra practicing is practicing is really key for a number of reasons. Um, you know, um, A, because you'll get your body used to using them and you'll get your body used to the technique and the and the effort that it takes through your upper body to use your poles. Um, B, if you, if, you, if you practice, you know what you can get out of them and you know what you can get out of them in certain situations and you'll become more efficient at using them. So, you know, you can't expect to, um, you can't expect to sort of buy a pair of poles, you know, two days before a race, go and use them and get the most out of them that you can get out of them. It's like, it's like everything. It's a skill and you need to learn to practice it. And finally, I'm going to put you on the hotspot. I want just to finish off one sentence, one tip each that is, a, that is a top tip for someone that is using poles. Mine would be to invest in a lesson with British Nordic Walking with a local instructor. Just an hour in the park, cost you 10 quid worth every penny to get you confident, set up and not feel like a wally when you go out. By yourself. I, I was going to say the same thing, but I'll have to choose something different now. But no, no, <laughs> good advice. So... Yeah, it's very good advice. Um, my my other point would be, and you you know I've talked about this a bit in the in you know, over this session, but you know have a strategy, practice it, and then use them, and then and then carry out that strategy in your challenge or race. Guys, thank you so much for what you've just spoken about. But like we've referenced before, Kate, where can people go to find out more information about Harrier, but also on how to run with poles? 
If you go to the Harrier website, go on to our help and guide section, we've got polls for beginners, quick start guide. Amazing, fantastic advice, which brings us to the end of this session. Thank you. Well done if you've made it this far, just the outro to go, but stay tuned to find out what has revolutionized Elise's running. Thank you guys for sticking with us again and being with us for another episode. It's been great to have you along for the ride. Before we go, I'd like to just talk to you guys about kit. So one of the things that we talk about a lot at the running show is, is about getting the right equipment for you. So yeah. if you had one essential piece of kit that you would never leave the house without, you're not allowed to say run away, <laughs> um, then what would it be? So I'll start with Jamie. Okay, I, I would go with the piece that always annoys me when I forget it, and that's my headphones. I enjoy... Ooh. I enjoy the run with some music. It gives me a bit more of an experience and my Shox headphones are fantastic. I, I just, if, as soon as I leave them and they're not in my kit bag, I'm a bit, I like to either have my podcast or a little bit of, um, bit of chat or just the music if I'm going for a session. Music, podcast, with friends, without friends. Which is it? I'll go music. Oh, okay, because he's got no friends. Um, okay, that's Jamie. Um, Elise, what you got? Easy, easy answer for me. People always say all you need to go running is a pair of shoes, but you can do barefoot running, but I couldn't go running without a good sports bra. And I think I spent a long time thinking that just those painful, chafy showers after a long run were just part of running as a person yeah. with boobs. And I found, my, I think after a lot of trial and error, I found one that really works and it's revolutionised my running life. So if you're having that problem, keep trying. I feel like I can't comment much on that. It's not really a problem <laughs> I've had. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's really important that you get your kit right. And I think actually just remember that one person's good kit is not the right good kit for you. I think that's really important. Just try lots of different stuff. You know, that's partly why we have the running show. That's partly why I'd always say go to a specialist running shop. If you're ever going to get trainers or socks or something, would you agree, guys? Right, completely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Completely. Yeah, go and get gait analysis done. Go and try out the trainers before you buy. Okay, yeah. so you've done yeah. one of those things that people always do where they say, say a set of words that people might not know what it means. Like It's like pronation and things like that, <laughs> gait analysis. And I remember when I started running, it freaked me out because I felt like I needed mm. a dictionary. So what's yeah. gait analysis doing? So it's looking at your gait, which is how your foot lands onto the road and then leaves, essentially, to be very basic. Um, there's numerous people that will say that you don't need <laughs> it. Um, there's lots of different schools of thought. Um, I think it's worth going and having the analysis done anyway, even if it's just to try the trainers, even if you don't believe in the science and there's different schools of thought, I think, around the running community. Um, but I would want to go and try the trainers before I run. I think it's also just such a case of trial and error. I know we talked last That's week it. about yeah. figuring things out and I think you just learn what kind of shoes you like. Yeah. Like I can often now look at a pair of shoes and I kind of know if it's the sort of thing I like yeah. and will fit well. So I think it, it might take a while if you've only just taken up running. It will take you a while to work out what exactly fits well, what you find comfortable, but you'll get there. But it's definitely a process. Yeah, I, I think you both... Incredibly correct. Incredibly correct. You're, <laughs> you're definitely right. Um, and I, I think with things like gait analysis, I think it's extra information. So mm -hmm. the more information you can give yourself, the, the more options yeah. you've got. You don't have to 
listen to everything, but if yeah. you take it all in, it gives you some, some options. <laughs> okay, guys, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the Pod Show. Please don't forget to enter the Runderwear competition, so follow the details in the uh, description to do that. And also, if you go to the Runderwear website and you check out and use the code PODSHOW, then you will get 10% discount. We will see you on the next one. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for watching. Please leave a review if you're listening, and also like, subscribe, comment. Let us know what all your thoughts are if you're watching on YouTube. Oh, and don't forget that our sponsors, Runderwear, are giving away another £100. So please check out the notes in this podcast to find out how you can win and check out the first two episodes to see how you can enter those competitions. We'll be back next week with episode four of The Pod Show. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.